Section 25 of Monday Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monday Tales by Alphonse Daudet. Translated by Marion McIntyre. Section 25. Aboard. A monologue. Two hours ago, every light was extinguished, every porthole closed. On the lower gun deck, which serves us for sleeping room, all is dark, oppressive, and stifling. I hear my comrades turning about in their hammocks, dreaming aloud, and groaning in their sleep. These days, spent in utter idleness, where only the brain works until it is weary, lead to restless nights of fevered slumber, from which one starts again and again. And even that slumber will not come to me. I cannot sleep. My thoughts will not let me. On the deck above, the rain is falling. The wind is high. From time to time, when the watch changes, a bell at the bow of the ship rings through the fog. Every time I hear it, I am reminded of Paris and the six o'clock bell ringing in the factories all about us. There are plenty of factories in our neighborhood. I see our little lodging, the children returning from school, the mother seated in the back of the workshop, just finishing something which she holds up to the window, availing herself of the last bit of the waning daylight, until she comes to the end of her thread. Alas, what is to become now of everything there? Perhaps it would have been better for me to take them with me, since I had permission. But then, what could one expect? They would be so far away from home. I feared the effect of the voyage and change of climate upon the children. And then we would have had to sell our stock of trimmings, our little property brought together with such effort, collected piece by piece for ten years. And my boys could not have gone to school any longer. And their mother would have been compelled to live among a parcel of trolls. No, indeed, I would rather endure it all alone. And yet when I climb to the deck above, and see all those families seated there, as if they were quite at home, the mothers sewing, the children clinging to their skirts, I could almost cry every time. The wind increases, the sea swells, the frigate sails on, pitching sideways, the masts creak, the sails crack. We must be going very quickly. So much the better. I am almost anxious now to reach that Ile de Pain, the mere thought of which terrified me so when I was sentenced. It will be the end of my journey. It will be a resting place, and I am so weary. There are moments when all that I have seen during the past twenty months rises before my eyes again and makes my head swim. The Prussian siege the ramparts, the drill, the clubs, the civil interments, immortel in one's buttonhole, the addresses at the foot of the column, the feasts of the commune at the Hôtel de Ville, the reviews of Clouseret, those sorties, the battle, the station at Clamart, and all those low walls where we knelt to fire upon the gendarmes, and then Satory, the prison hulks, the police, the transportations from one ship to another, the goings and comings which made one ten times a prisoner in exchanging prisons, and lastly, the chamber of the council of war. 
with all those officers in full dress, seated at the rear in the shape of a horseshoe, and then those prisoners' barges, the embarkation, the farewell. All these are jumbled, confused in that bewildered state which comes after tossing about a few days at sea. Oh, hardship, dust, and what else besides I do not know have covered my face like a mask. It seems to me that I have not washed for ten years. Ah, yes, it will seem good indeed to set foot somewhere, to halt at last. They say that when I get there, I shall have a bit of ground, tools, a little house. A little house, yes, we dreamed of such a one, my wife and I, on the hill at Saint-Mandé, a little low house with a garden spread in front, like an open drawer, full of vegetables and flowers. There, on Sundays, from morning till night, we would have taken our airing, sunned ourselves for the whole week to come, and when the children were grown, and each had learned his trade, there we would have retired to enjoy a peaceful old age. Ah, poor fool, see where you are now, on the retired list to be sure, and you will have your house in the country. Oh, misery, when I think that politics was the cause of it all, and I always mistrusted their infernal politics, was always afraid of it. At first I was not rich, and with my stock to pay for, I had not much time for reading the papers or listening to all the fine speakers at different meetings. But the cursed siege came, and the National Guard, nothing to do but brawl and to drink. Of course I must go to their clubs with the others, and all their fine words ended by turning my head the working man's rights, the welfare of the people. When the commune came, I believed that the golden age for the poor had arrived. Not long after, I was made a captain, and as all the staff must have new clothes, all that lace, those frogs and aiguillette gave plenty of work to our establishment. Later, when I saw how things were going, I wanted to get out of it all, but I was afraid everyone would think me a coward. What are they doing now overhead? I hear a rumbling sound, a voice through the speaking tubes. Jackboots are tramping the slippery deck. These sailors, what hard lives they lead. There is the quartermaster's whistle, rousing them from their sleep. They climb upon the deck, not yet awake and moist with sweat. They must hurry to and fro in the dark, in the cold. The boards are slippery. The riggings are frozen and cause the hands that cling to them to smart. And while they hang there upon the yard-arms, between the sky and the sea, hauling those great stiffened sails, a sudden squall seizes them, sweeps them off and scatters them upon the high sea, as though they were merely a flock of seagulls. Ah, a sailor's life is somewhat rougher than that of a Paris workingman, and not as well paid. And yet these fellows do not complain, do not rebel at it. They look perfectly content. Their clear eyes are resolute enough. And how they respect those who command them, it is plain to see that they have not frequented our clubs. This is a storm indeed. The frigate tosses horribly, leaping and creaking in all her timbers. Floods of water pour upon the deck with a roar like thunder. 
After that, for five minutes at least, tiny gutters overflow on every side. There is a sudden stir about me. Some are seasick. Others are afraid. This enforced immobility in the hour of danger is the worst form of imprisonment. And to think that while we are huddled here like so many cattle, groping and tossed about in this sinister tumult which surrounds us, so many of those charming sons of the commune, with gilt tassels and red plastrons, all those play soldiers, cowards who drove us to the front, are placidly enjoying themselves in their cafés, in theatres at London, Geneva, and so near France. When I think of that, it makes me furious. Upon the gun deck, all are awake now. They call from hammock to hammock, and as all of them are Parisians, they begin to joke and laugh and chaff each other. I pretend I am still asleep so that they may let me alone. How horrible! What torture it is never to have a moment to oneself, to live in such a hive as this, to be obliged to grow angry when these others are, to talk as they talk, make believe one hates what he does not, all this that he need not be taken for a spy. And that endless, endless jesting of theirs. Good Lord, what a sea! Surely the gale is hollowing out great black chasms into which the frigate plunges as it is whirled onward. Yes, surely it was best that I did not take them with me. It is good to think in this hour that they are at home, safely sheltered in our little chamber. Deep in the gloom of the gun-deck, I fancy I catch the gleam from a lamp. It seems to fall upon the foreheads of the children, fast asleep, and their mother, leaning over them, muses and works the while. End of section 25 Recording by Linda Johnson